بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسل لي أمري وحل نقدة من لساني يفقه قولي أما بعد uh, Respected elders uh, Dear brothers and sisters My young friends Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh I hope and pray that uh, each and every one of you is doing well um, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is keeping you safe, uh, keeping you happy, keeping you uh, in a state of peace and uh, rising iman, insha'Allah. And if that is not the case, then I certainly ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to grant you and all of us uh, these beautiful states. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Today, of course, is a Saturday night. Uh, it's a long weekend. It may not feel like it perhaps too much. Um, normally, subhanAllah, you know, this long weekend, um, many of us would have been traveling. Uh, I probably would have been traveling as well. Um, you probably wouldn't be having this talk, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of planners. Uh, and subhanAllah, he has uh, given us this opportunity uh, just before um, the coming of the month of Ramadan uh, to gather virtually, of course. Uh, so, Zakumullah khaira, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. Uh, and thank you very much for taking the time uh, to join us this evening. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect you and your families. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. So my brothers and sisters, imagine if you had uh, 13 days left until a major wedding in your family. Now, of course, under normal circumstances, you know, I understand some people may still be having gatherings uh, virtually um, for weddings and so on. But under normal circumstances, imagine that there were 13 days left until a major wedding. Um, let's say uh, this was your own marriage, your own wedding, if you're not married yet and you're looking to get married, uh, or perhaps the, the wedding of a child uh, or a grandchild or a close relative in your family. Or let's say there were 13 days left until you moved uh, to a much bigger and a much uh, nicer house, one that you've been uh, looking for for a long time uh, and are uh, really looking forward to moving into. Or perhaps until you started, um, there were 13 days until you were to start a much better uh, and a higher paying job. You know, imagine the anticipation, right? How great would the anticipation be um, that, you know, if you are waiting for a moment and similarly for a trip, especially if you're going for, let's say, for Umrah for the first time or going to see your parents uh, or close relatives after a very long time, the anticipation would be so great. Uh, many of us would probably be, you know, tossing and turning, uh, wouldn't be able to stop uh, thinking about what we are about to do or what we're about to embark upon. Uh, make preparations of course uh, so that we are fully prepared for that moment you know if you're traveling you want to make sure uh, if you were traveling for Umrah for example you would make sure your passport is valid that the visa is in that the vaccines are all done uh, or at least when they were required um, you know so making sure that your luggage is packed so everything is in order so that you are 100% even more 110% ready for that journey and for that step that you're about to take now imagine that if the government announced that half of all mortgages would be forgiven two weeks from now. How eagerly people would be waiting for that moment. And subhanAllah, you know, in these times we find announcements almost every single day and things are changing and there's different types of, you know, funding and assistance that is becoming available. So imagine if the government were to announce, and it is not from what I know, but imagine that the government was to announce that half of all mortgages would be forgiven. 
just two weeks from now. You just have to wait for two weeks and then you will get that opportunity. You know, you can imagine the anticipation and the eagerness that people would have to wait for that moment. Um, or for my younger friends, let's say that the province, the premier announced um, that, you know, every student in the province is going to get a new iPad, the latest one. You know, so imagine how excited the children would be. So our excitement and eagerness, right, for all of these things that I've mentioned, all of these imaginary scenarios, it's very valid. There's absolutely nothing wrong with, with being excited and being eager for these things. But my brothers and sisters, our excitement and eagerness for the month of Ramadan, our excitement and eagerness for the month of Ramadan as believers should exceed any other excitement and anticipation, right? So all of those material things that we get excited for, worldly things that we get excited for as legitimate and as halal as they may be, which is fine, but our excitement and eagerness for the month of Ramadan should be next level compared to that. And why, right? So why should it be? Because simply, spiritually, Ramadan has much, much more to offer than any and even all of these things we have discussed combined, right? So the month of Ramadan is so great of an opportunity, is so great of a blessing that it goes beyond, right? The benefits and the rewards, the blessings go beyond any worldly expectation, beyond any worldly pleasure, any worldly gain that we can, we can have, that we can attain in the life of this world. The Prophet ﷺ said regarding the month of Ramadan, that there has come to you Ramadan, of course in the month of Ramadan, there has come to you Ramadan, a blessed month which Allah has enjoined you to fast. During which the gates of heaven are opened. And the gates of hell are closed. The Prophet ﷺ went on to say that in it, that the rebellious devils are chained up. And in it, there is a night which is better than a thousand months. And whoever is deprived of its goodness is indeed deprived. SubhanAllah. Okay, so it's a blessed month in which fasting has been enjoined during which the gates of heaven are, heaven are opened up, the gates of Jahannam of hellfire are closed, the rebellious devils are chained, and in it there is a night which is better than a thousand months, and whoever is deprived of its goodness is indeed deprived. So subhanAllah, in this you know brief hadith, the Prophet ﷺ has told us the obligation of Ramadan, he has told us the, about the blessing of Ramadan, he has told us about uh, what happens in terms of the gates of, of, of paradise and the gates of Jahannam, you know, gates of paradise, the gates of mercy being open, the gates of Jahannam being closed, the devils being chained up. And he has told us about Laylatul Qadr. And at the end of all of this, in this brief hadith, he has warned us not to be amongst those who are deprived of its goodness. Because he has said that man hurim, that whoever is deprived of its goodness is indeed deprived. And certainly we do not want to be amongst those who are deprived and especially, especially not during these times that we are living through. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us those who are uh, blessed in the blessed month of Ramadan and protect us from being amongst those who are going to be deprived of its goodness. Now, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has also told us um, that it is a, a month of, uh, of rahmah. It is a month of maghfirah. So it's a month of mercy, of forgiveness, 
and the month of deliverance from the fire, right? Of being saved from the punishment of the fire, being sent, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decision, you know, to send us to, to be punished in the fire. So deliverance from that uh, outcome. Now, when we think about the rahmah, right? When we think about the rahmah of Ramadan, um, you know, locking up um, the uh, the locking up of the devils, right? And especially the evil influencers. And subhanAllah, you know, when I was just thinking about this, um, the term social influencer came to my mind, right? Because this is a thing nowadays, right? Where there's people, especially on social media, um, who have large followings uh, and they influence people. And normally they're influencing people, um, you know, for marketing. Uh, they're marketing products through that influence. They're marketing services. They're getting paid for that. Uh, there's placements and they're promoting certain products and certain services and encouraging their followers to to um, to buy them, to purchase them, and they're getting paid for that, right? So they're social influencers. Uh, but in reality, um, you know, we also have people, it doesn't necessarily have to be them, but generally there are people uh, in society and there are influences within the shayateen, as well, there are influencers uh, within the shayateen who are essentially evil influencers and their job is to spread evil. And the Prophet ﷺ has told us that the rebellious devils, right, or the worst of the shayateen are chained up. So there may be, and, you know, scholars have given different interpretations, different understandings uh, of, you know, what exactly that means and which types of, of, of devils or shayateen are locked up. But nonetheless, what we find is that um, there's less of an evil influence. There's less influence of evil um, and of sin in the month of Ramadan. And therefore, of course, we see, you know, the direct impact as soon as the month of Ramadan comes, in terms of the visible impact amongst, uh, uh, you know, on the behavior of and the conduct of believers, um, and then immediately when the month of Ramadan uh, ends, we see the change in the conduct of people as well, right? So the locking up the devils and evil influencers is indeed a great mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala because it gives us some respite, right? Iblis had vowed to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that he was going to be after us. Right? He vowed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he was going to try to mislead us. Right? So he promised to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he's going to attack us from all sides, from the front, from the back, from the right, from the left. Right? And then he said, that you're not going to find, he is promising to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Iblis, that you know, you're not going to find um, too many of them who are going to be grateful. Right? They're not going to be grateful. I'm going to lead them to ungratefulness and, and to eventually rejecting you as their Lord. And so that is his mission. And subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of his wisdom, his knowledge, has given Iblis and his army, the, 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 the army of shayateen, um, free reign for the most part through most of the year. Right, But in this one month, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us respite, gives us an opportunity to turn to him and to be protected from those uh, from from those evil influences, right? So think of it like a, a prescription, a vaccine that lasts for a month, during which we are protected for the most part from the evil influences of the devils of the shayateen, and therefore this is a great mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And on top of that, so not only does Allah Subhanahu wa Taala chain the devils, right, or the most rebellious of the devils, but then He also increases the virtue of the good deeds. He increases the reward of good deeds and, and you know upgrades and elevates the reward um, and therefore giving us an opportunity uh, to really invest um, in our akhirah, to increase our accounts, our balance for the akhirah. And on top of that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also gives us the Laylatul Qadr, right? Khayrun min alfi shahr, which is better than a thousand months. So not, not even 
equal to a thousand months, but better to a thousand months. Subhanallah, you know, just a few hours of the night, right? In the summertime, it's really short, right? And now as we are coming towards winter, um, it is of course getting longer. But nonetheless, you know, that one night being more valuable, right? Khair, so not even equal, right? But khairum min al-fishar, so better than a thousand months. Um, so subhanallah, you know, these are immense, immense opportunities and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The doors of forgiveness, you know, being, uh, they are already open, but even being open wider, right? And everything the call that come, come for the forgiveness of your Lord, you know, run towards uh, the forgiveness of your of your Lord, as Allah tells us, you know, race towards forgiveness. You know, so in the month of Ramadan, is special amnesty, special amnesty to everyone who has sinned, regardless of how great that sin may be, regardless of how horrific that sin may be, you know, regardless of how uh, how how terrible and and how evil that sin may be, the forgiveness, the doors of forgiveness for Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala um, are, are are flung wide, wide open, right? So that uh, is in a, a tremendous opportunity of us to to for us to uh, to to get a fresh start, right? To hit the reset button, be able to fresh start. You know, if there's essentially our sins are like uh, are like uh, are burdens for us. So the believers should see their sins as burdens, right? As as something which is great, something which is heavy upon their backs. So this is an opportunity, the month of Ramadan, to hit the reset button, to to format you know our drive to really get rid of all that junk to purify ourselves and to get a fresh start. And when we get a fresh start, then, you know, there's a chance there for us to actually reform ourselves. And there's greater motivation then because we don't have to worry about our past then. If if we make sincere tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially, you know, you don't have to do it in the month of Ramadan. Of course, you could do it anytime. You should do it as soon as possible. But especially in the month of Ramadan. So along with the, the, the purifying, right, that spiritual purification, the wiping away of sins, and then on top of that, you know, the mercy of being protected from the evil influences of the devils. And on top of that, the increased um, rewards and blessings for each uh, good deed. You know, that is is really like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us all the conditions that we need, setting up all the conditions for us to really step forward and to bring substantive positive change into our lives. Um, and this is the time to get it right. When this month of Ramadan is there, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving this the opportunity to, to really take that plunge into bringing positive change and giving us the opportunity to get it right and make it sustain make it sustain inshallah and of course the deliverance from the fire right the deliverance from the fire now of course this is something that we you know generally shy away from talking about too much because we don't want to scare people we don't want to think about um you know uh, about being punished but the reality is that you know, Jannah uh, to right? That the, the the Jannah, the paradise, is is true, right? Is absolutely one hundred percent true, and at the same time, right, the hellfire is also something which is true, and that is something that we cannot deny. And the absolute worst, most terrible, most horrible thing that can happen to a person is that they are dipped in the fire of hell, even for a moment. Right? Think about that for a moment. The absolute worst most terrible, most horrible thing that can happen to a person is that they are dipped in the fire of hell even for a moment. You see, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that um, that um, one of the, uh, uh, that amongst the, uh, that one amongst the inhabitants of the hellfire who had led a life of ease, who had lived a life 
of ease and plenty, plentiness amongst the people of the world, right, would be made to dip in the fire only once on the day of resurrection. Okay. Just a dip on the day of resurrection. And then it would be said to him that, Yabna Adam, Hal ra'ayta khayran qattu? Hal marra bika na'imun qattu? That, O son of Adam, did you find any comfort? Did you happen to get any material blessing? So remember, this is a person who had led a life of ease. A life of ease and enjoyment amongst the people of the world. Okay, so in the life of this world, he was living in enjoyment. He was living a life of luxury. He had no worries, no, no pain, right? Or very minimal pain. Okay, so he lived a life of ease. But then when this person will be dipped into the fire only once on the day of resurrection and will be asked that, did you find any comfort? Did you happen to get any material blessing? He would say, La wallahi ya Rab. He will say, by Allah, no, my Lord. And then the Prophet said, and then a person, and this is very, very, very uh, relevant and inspiring, especially as we live through hardships, that you know, that a person from amongst the person of the world would be brought who had led the most miserable life in the world from amongst the inmates of Jannah. You know, and subhanAllah, sometimes we see around the world, many times nowadays, especially we see, you know, people living through terrible, terrible hardships in this world. You know, it breaks our heart, makes us cry, right? And we just feel for that person. Um, with regards to their misery and the trouble that they're facing and the hardship every single day, every single hour or minute of their life presents to them. And yet they they push forward with patience and perseverance. So a that person from amongst the persons of the world would be brought who had led the most miserable life in the world from amongst the inmates of Jannah. And he would be made to dip once in Jannah. Okay, so he's from amongst the people who is... Who is Destined, or you know, who, for whom has been decided that they're going to go to Jannah, and he will be made to dip once in paradise, and it will be said to him, "O son of Adam, did you face any hardship, or had any distress fall into your lot? Right, just one dip in Jannah, and he would say that by Allah, no, O my Lord, never did I face any hardship or experience any distress." So you see, my brothers and sisters, this is the comparison of the enjoyment of the life versus the punishment of the hellfire and the hardships of this world versus or compared to the um, the joy and the bliss in Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst the people of Jannah. Amin ya rabbal alameen. So you see my brothers and sisters, this is a tremendous opportunity coming our way. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills for us to make it. And you know, every year we talk about this, that um, you know, who knows who's going to be around for the next Ramadan. Subhanallah, right? Like when that last minute of Ramadan ends, like, you know, when those final moments, and that's, you know, often an emotional time for me. So when we're, you know, the, 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 um, either the, you know, the moon has been sighted somewhere, the announcement has been made, uh, or we're going to look for the moon, um, or it's like, you know, the 30th day of Ramadan, and we know that the next day is going to be Eid. Um, so that last prayer, that Salatul Asr, the last Salatul Asr of Ramadan, Right, and those last few, you know, that last sujood, those last few moments of, of the month of Ramadan before sunset, um, subhanAllah, that's that, that's a really emotional moment because I don't know if I'm gonna be around again. I don't know if I'm gonna be have I'm if I'm gonna have even another chance, you know, to prostrate in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during the month of Ramadan, if I'm gonna have a chance to make a dua or to say subhanallah or alhamdulillah or Allahu Akbar or La ilaha illallah in the month of Ramadan again. You know, so we know this, 
right? As we go through each Ramadan, we know this. But now, in the situation that we find ourselves in, all of a sudden it's real, right? All of a sudden it's real because most of the time you're not thinking that, you know, death is going to come your way. You're not thinking that, you know, you're not planning or, or expecting something to happen. But subhanAllah, we live in a moment right now where every single person most likely is having that thought that, you know, what if, what if, like, yes, okay, maybe the chances are pretty low, inshallah, you know, I'm taking all my precautions and I'm, um, you know, physical precautions and I'm making dua and I'm doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I'm trying to do everything right. But there is that possibility. There is that, that, that you know, that chance that maybe, you know, something will happen to me, that I will end up becoming ill and perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will call me back before the month of Ramadan. So this is the time that we're living in right now where all of a sudden it has become real. And again, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gives us an opportunity to witness the month of Ramadan once again. And, you know, if we have that mindset, if we are, are, are thinking of Ramadan in that way, then we're going to appreciate it. We're not going to take it for granted. We're going to appreciate it. We're going to be looking forward to every single moment. We're going to be looking forward to, um, you know, uh, taking advantage of every single opportunity in the best way possible, inshallah. So the good news, my brothers and sisters, is that none of these aspects of Ramadan that we have just discussed will be in lockdown, inshallah. Okay, um, they will not be closed. Many things are closed. Many workplaces, many businesses, uh, schools are closed. You know, there's all types of things that are closed. All types of restrictions um, that we have that we are normally not accustomed to having. But inshallah, the good news is that none of these aspects that we've discussed so far about Ramadan will be in lockdown, inshallah. As long as we're alive, inshallah, we will have the opportunity to take advantage of all of them, inshallah. The most severest of lockdowns, by the way, okay, the most severest, severest of closures or lockdowns will be when the doors of repentance are closed. Can you imagine? Okay, so like, you know, right now, uh, or just previously, before this crisis struck, there were, there were a whole bunch of things that we had taken for granted. We hadn't thought about twice. Um, and now all of a sudden we realize, oh, the situation has changed and has changed very, very quickly, subhanAllah. And now, you know, we're having to line up for food. Like who would have thought, subhanAllah, who would have thought that in our communities, in this country, on this continent, in the Western world, people will have to line up in order to get food, to get groceries, right? Yes, alhamdulillah, we're able to order online. You're still able to go inside and most supplies are there. Right, but we've we've gone through the panic where shelves were becoming empty, right? And now we're having to wait. Like when a person is is looking for something to eat for themselves, for their family, they want to go to the supermarket. Most of the time now, depending on where you live, it may not be very easy. You may have to go and you may have to line up and wait outside. And today it was quite cold as well. You know, so things can can change very, very quickly, and we take things for for granted. And one of the things perhaps that we're taking for granted is that the, the opportunity to, to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the opportunity for that repentance to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because if you see, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has told us that a, such a time will come when tawbah will no longer be accepted. Can you imagine? When repentance will no longer be accepted. So if a person even would want to repent at that time, it will be too late. Right? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi mentioned that hatta tatla'a shamsu min maghribiha, right? That it is acceptance is accepted, uh, repentance is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until the sun rises from the Maghrib, from the from the West. Now, you know, this is a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It is uh, authentic, authentically narrated. And, you know, sometimes we, we read these things and we wonder, okay, how is that possible? Now, of course, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us, whatever the Prophet 
sallallahu alayhi wasallam has told us is 100% absolutely true there's no doubt about it but sometimes you know we're human beings we're weak in our understanding so sometimes we wonder okay how is that possible because if the sun were to you know go the other way it would cause all this destruction on earth and um and it would be you know a, a major problem so like how would people still be alive after that um to make tawbah but not have their tawbah accepted so i once came across and you may know about this but this very interesting um uh, phenomenon of the flipping of the poles and this was actually in National Geographic where I found this. So it's an authentic, uh, you know, authentic source in terms of um, geography and science. But essentially what it said, and I'm quoting that, over the last 20 million years, magnetic north and south have flipped roughly every 200,000 to 300,000 years. And it says that this rate has not been constant over the planet's lifetime, though. So the last of these major reversals occurred about 780,000 years ago, although the poles do wander around in between these larger flips. And what it says is that what's more, climate change seems to be shifting the Earth's geographic poles. And in terms of what impact it would have, here's what it says in the article. The only major noticeable effect that's guaranteed to occur when the polar flop is finished is that your compass needle will tell you that north is in Antarctica and south is somewhere near Canada. This will make the names of the American continents temporarily confusing, at least on the ge ge geologic timescale. Um, but it'll make a, for a good story in classrooms is what the article says. Okay, so if north becomes south and south becomes north, then east becomes west and west becomes east. So subhanAllah, maybe this is this is how this hadith will be manifested or how this sun rising from the west will be manifested. I don't know. Allah SWT knows best. But just something that I came across uh, as a side note. Um, which really uh, reminded me of uh, of this hadith, subhanAllah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from seeing that time when our tawbah is no longer accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah azawajal forgive us always, every single day for all of our shortcomings. Amin ya rabbal alameen. So either that is going to happen or we are, no, we are no longer going to be alive and then it is too late to change. It is too late to do any tawbah at that point, right? When we're breathing our last and when we are about to return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when the angel of death, when Malakul Maut is about to pull out our soul, then it's too late, right? To, to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because even Fir'aun, even Fir'aun at that state, right? At that stage, in that state, sought to accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And to admit that he was wrong, but it was too late. It was too late at that point. So alhamdulillah, you know, we still have an opportunity to change. We still have an opportunity to seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be forgiven, inshallah. Okay, so all of that is still there. So the question then is, what has changed for this Ramadan? Okay, what has changed for this Ramadan? And the biggest and most difficult change, most probably for the believers, this Ramadan is going to be not being able to offer salah in the masjid. Okay. When this crisis started, when this crisis started, um, you know, we thought, okay, maybe it's going to be for a week or two weeks, maybe a short period of time. Um, of course, Salat al Jum'ah being missed for the first time, not being held in the masajid, uh, you know, uh, Umrah being stopped in, in Masjid al Haram, uh, and then both Haramain being pretty much close to the public. You know, these all came as major shocks to the Muslim Ummah. Right? And it's not that, you know, these things haven't happened in the past, they have. But what really hasn't happened, which I understand to be unprecedented, Allah knows best, is for all of these masajid in all of these different countries to be closed at once. And this is actually something quite major, that a believer who wants to offer salah in the masjid is actually not able to go to the masjid and offer salah. 
right? So this is something that should concern us, right? This is something that should should concern the believers, um, because you know we have certain virtues, very great virtues and, and blessings associated with offering salah in the masjid, especially in jama'ah in the masjid and congregation, um, and this of course uh, impacts uh, salatul jama'ah, right? Uh, daily prayers. And when this happened, we were all, I'm sure, hoping, making dua that, you know, Ya Allah, we, we pray, we ask you not to extend this closure into the month of Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still the master. He is able to control everything. Uh, he does control everything. So, in Allah ala shayin qadir, you know, Allah is, is competent over all things. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can change that in a second if he wishes to. But from what we can see and what we understand, and we have certainly learned that our foresight is very short through this crisis. That's one of the main things that we have learned. Learned, um, but you know, it appears that most likely we will not have access to masajid, right, to the houses of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala during the month of Ramadan. Uh, so that impacts our Jum'ah, that impacts our daily salah, which is huge, right, because the numbers would definitely go up, right. Definitely, we would see for salah, for even Salatul Fajr, we would see. The, the most amount of people coming for, for daily salah, salatul fajr, right? Even at our musalla, right? In every single masjid in the world, in, 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 in Ramadan, hands down, right? The highest numbers. Um, for Even for the daily prayers, right? The highest numbers we find would be in the month of Ramadan. And of course, salatul isha uh, and for, for uh, taraweeh, of course, numbers like we would never see during the rest of the year. Um, even Qiyam, right? Like when we were holding Qiyam in the middle of the night, like at 2.30, right? 1.30 in the morning, subhanAllah. And the entire masala is packed, right? It's like you've never seen that many people come out at that hour, right? It was funny, once we were going at her own masala, you know, it was like a Saturday night or something. Um, and there was like a whole procession of cars trying to make it in time for Qiyam. And there was a cop, right? There was a poor police officer who was just like spending his night, I guess, waiting for someone to speed. And he sees like this whole procession of cars and everyone's like turning into that little street where, you know, that little alley right beside where Musallah used to be off of March Road. Um, and uh, it got, you know, it got the best of his curiosity because he saw like all these people coming to this nondescript, you know, plaza uh, out in the rural area of Canada and um, and no one's speeding and everyone's like, you know, doing the speed limit. Uh, so he actually came, right? he came behind one of the brothers and he's like, you know, I'm just curious to know what's going on here. Um, he said, oh, you know, these, this is our mosque and we are, it's Ramadan and so on. So he was very nice. You know, he was outside and uh, spoke to me afterwards as well. So, you know, mashallah, we would see turnouts like, like we have never seen um, anytime outside of Ramadan. Right? It doesn't happen outside of Ramadan. Um, but that's probably not going to be possible this year. Right. So when something that is really important is not available, right, like we would do anything, of course, to have that, that opportunity. But, of course, you know, the laws are in place. Uh, we understand the the recommendations and the guidance of medical experts of public health, and therefore we must abide by that. Um, so when something that is really important is not available, then we make do with the next possible option. Right? We make do with the next best possible option. And that next best possible option is to turn your home into a masjid. Right? Turn your home into a masjid. Turn your home into a place of prayer. Uh, because masjid, you know, literally a place where we make sujood. Um, so, you know, turn your home into a masjid and have good hopes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, our religion teaches us to ideally have a balance of hope and fear. A balance of hope and fear. So the fear is of being deprived of blessings of the masjid. The fear of being deprived of the blessings of the masjid. The fear of being deprived of being, you know, of offering Salah with jama'ah. But 
also the hope that due to our love for the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the fact that if you were able to, we would have certainly prayed masjid, that would have been that was our practice and that what is our intention, then hopefully we will receive a similar reward to praying in the masjid. Right? So hope and fear. So, so we don't take it for granted, right? We don't become complacent. We don't say that, oh yeah, inshallah, we'll get a reward anyway. You know, we don't have to worry about it. So we don't have that careless type of attitude. We are fearful of being deprived of that blessings um, and the rewards of offering salah in the masjid. But also, you know, because we have the love of, of the of the masajid, of the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the fact that this is, is what we have been doing in the past, and we certainly would have if we had the opportunity, then we have the reward that inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being a Rahman or a Rahim, being the most merciful, inshallah, inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant us a, the same or similar reward as if we had prayed in the masjid. Because we see we get hope from the narration, um, uh, from the report from the Prophet وسلم, that إِذَا مَرِضَ الْعَبْدُ That if a servant of Allah falls ill or travels, the likes of what he used to do, essentially, is in the habit of doing some good. Whether it's worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or anything else which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If that is their habit, and then they fall ill or they are traveling, essentially they have an excuse for which they are due to which they are not able to, to maintain to con or continue to do that good deed, then inshallah it will be recorded for them as if they have done it. So this hadith gives us really a lot of hope, right? So yes, there is fear, but there's also hope as well that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being merciful, um, you know, will inshallah, due to our circumstances and our situation and our intentions and our feelings, will inshallah reward us as if we had prayed in the masjid. Now, you see the Bani Israel, and I mentioned this in the beginning as well, uh, when this crisis first started, that the Bani Israel, um, the children of Israel, were in a desperate situation, you know, and they were oppressed. And, and you've probably heard about, you know, the, the, the level of oppression that Fir'aun had put upon the Bani Israel, subhanAllah, it's like unimaginable. And there was no hope and there was no way out for them, right? Like nothing was happening, nothing was working, and they were just like in, in the depths of despair. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them to turn their homes towards the qibla, meaning establish prayer in their homes. Right? Establish prayer, make their homes into places of prayer. Turn their attention towards the prayer, towards the qibla, and turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even in, in Makkah al-Mukarramah, in, in the early days of, of, uh, of, of the, the call of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa there was a small but growing number of Muslims. And the Masjid al-Haram, you know, meaning the Kaaba, was not accessible. Right, was not a place where the Muslims felt safe enough to go and to be able to offer salah and to openly proclaim, um, you know, Islam. So therefore, that small but growing number of Muslims, uh, early Muslims in Mecca, would gather at Darul Arqam, right, the house of Arqam, which is actually located at the foot of Mount Safa. Essentially, nowadays where you would start your Sa'i, right, when you go between Safa and Marwa. So that at the beginning of of, of the Sa'i at Mount Safa is uh, around in that area is where Darul Arqam was. Located and the Prophet وسلم, and the Muslims will gather there uh, to pray together, you know, to recite Quran, to learn about Islam from the Prophet. So we, we see um, that practice as well. And subhanAllah, you know, praying at home uh, will be the reality for many Muslims around the world. It already is, has been a reality for many Muslims around the world where they are not able to leave their homes to go to the masjid, where perhaps there is no masjid available, or they are oppressed and they don't have that opportunity. Um, so this is a reality that many Muslims have been living through, uh, but subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is making us now taste that reality as well.
but most probably in, in much better circumstances, alhamdulillah. So now getting to the point, so what are the implications of that? You know, what does that actually look like? Right? What does it look like in terms of our Ramadan? What are the implications for us? So the reality is that, you know, up until now, many of us have relied on others for at least a good portion of our Ramadan. Okay, that's just the reality. We've relied on others for our Ramadan. Um, and that wasn't necessarily something which was bad. But now, in this situation, it will be up to us to step up and to build up our own Ramadan. Okay, so up until now, a good portion of our Ramadan has been about others or about depending on others. But now, really, the ball is in our court. And we will have to step up and build up our own Ramadan. So practically, what does that mean? So first of all, um, if you haven't done so already, to have a masjid, to have a masallah at your home, okay? If you have the space, then try to have a fixed spot, right? If it's a room, that's great. If it's a portion of a room or part of a room where you, you leave the, the sajada, the, the prayer mass, the janamas on the ground, um, you know, that is excellent. Um, and, you know, make it feel like a masallah or a masjid. So a place where, you know, daily you have adhan, and there's, you know, timings for prayer and, you know, you get your children involved um, and, and you know, not, and be careful not to make it, a, 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 you know, make it easy for them. Don't make it a burden so that they don't like coming there or that they don't like, you know, praying together, especially for younger children. So, you know, be kind, be compassionate, be soft, be easy with them, uh, but try to build um, a fixed area for a masjid, for a masjid in your home and then, you know, populate it with the actions as well. Um, you know, when it comes to, to Friday, right? Salatul Jum'ah, yes, we, we will not be able to offer Salatul Jum'ah, uh, Friday prayer, but value Friday as the best day of the week. Try to do whatever you're able to. Recite Suratul Kahf, um, you know, at least the, the first 10 ayahs, or 10, first 10 verses or the last 10 verses, if you can't recite the whole surah. Um, you know, try to dress up and wear your best clothes. You know, do take a bath, take a shower, you know, clean yourself, clip your nails. So does the sunnahs of, of, of Friday, uh, try to act upon them. Um, you know, listen to a, a something online, whether it's our Friday message or any other, um, you know, online uh, message, inshallah, you know, ideally at around the same time as Salatul Jama'ah, offer Salat together. Um, so try to do that on Fridays. And when it comes to the nights of Ramadan, you know, value those nights as well inside your masjid, right? Inside your musalla, inside your home. Now, of course, uh, Taraweeh, the, the night prayer in Ramadan, uh, is a major part of the Ramadan experience, right? I think for most people, there's no denying that. Um, you know, many people will try to come every single night, of course, to the masjid or to gather uh, in a place to offer Aisha and to offer Taraweeh prayer. Um, you know, even for those who are not able to come every day or who are not able to stay for the whole thing, um, you know, they will come and stay for as long as they can, whenever they can. Um, so that is a major part of the Ramadan experience. Um, now, there has been an idea that has been floated, that has been talked about, and people have asked about as well. Um, and that is uh, whether it can be permissible to follow the imam at home. So if we were to do what we're doing right now, and if I started offering the prayer, leading the prayer, and if you sitting at home um, would follow me through this means, as an example, would that be something, you know, which it can be do is doable or not? Would that be something permissible or not? Um, there are some fatawa as well. You know, some uh, scholars have given that opinion that, you know, due to the circumstances and only under these circumstances that it may be permissible. Um, and I mean, you know, it's something which has, is, is being um, uh, discussed, I think, passionately in many scholarly circles. Um, and I think dying that there are um, 
probably some benefits to doing that. However, uh, you know, the risks um, and uh, the, the problems that can arise, especially in the future, um, you know, I think perhaps outweigh the, the benefits that, that may exist. Um, it's a long discussion, so I can't get into all the details. Um, and, you know, with great respect for the, the scholars who, who have given that opinion and not trying to take away anything from them, and I fully respect their knowledge, um, but many of the uh, scholarly bodies that, you know, I've, um, that I've heard from or read about, uh, discussions that I've been uh, privy to, um, it appears that most scholars and many scholars are very uncomfortable with this idea. Um, it's perfectly okay in their view to hold uh, talks and sessions, um, you know, um, live and, and do all these other activities. But when it comes to uh, offering salah, um, then, then there's great um, reluctance to, to accept uh, this idea, this notion of being able uh, to virtually offer uh, salah. And, and one of the risks uh, is that, you know, once we open that door, um, then a lot of times it, it gets very difficult um, to 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 follow it with all the exceptions and like all the the the, the qualifiers um, and then it, it's human tendency to just go what is go for what is easier um, and and then it will it, it opening that door would then could dramatically impact um, the way we we worship uh, and really even get to the you know start damaging the core essence. Uh, of coming together uh, and doing uh, communal acts of worship in jama'ah and so on and so forth. But anyway, it's, it's a long fiqhi scholarly discussion uh, and not to take away again anything from those who, who see that as an acceptable practice. Um, I certainly you know, value and appreciate their opinion. But for the most part, from scholarly bodies, um, you will not find uh, agreement with, with that practice. So um, that is not something that we will be doing, uh, inshallah. Now, with regards to uh, the Trawi prayer, the Prophet ﷺ, it's important to know that he offered prayer in congregation and individually at home. And it is uh, related uh, from Zayd ibn Thabit anhu in Sahih al-Bukhari that the Prophet ﷺ took a room made of date palm leaf mats in the masjid and the Messenger of Allah ﷺ prayed in it for a few nights. So we're talking about night prayer in Ramadan, Tarawi. Um, so he prayed in it for a few nights till the people gathered to pray the prayer behind him as well. So the Prophet ﷺ is praying, people join the first night, second night more people join, the third night even more people join. So there's a crowd now that's gathering. Um, then on the fourth night, the people did not hear his voice and they thought that he had slept, meaning like he had perhaps overslept. Uh, so some of them started humming in order that he might come out. So they were trying to be respectful, you know, they don't want to go bang on his door, um, but you know, they're just trying to make some noise uh, to get the attention of the Prophet ﷺ. And then the Prophet ﷺ, said that you continue doing what I saw you doing. Okay, so you we were going ahead with this practice of you joining me for this night prayer in Ramadan till I was afraid that this prayer might be enjoined on you. And if it were enjoined on you, you would not continue performing it. So essentially the Prophet was afraid that this prayer would, you know, perhaps because there was so much interest and the revelation was still coming down, perhaps this would be something which would be made obligatory upon the people, and then it would become difficult, and they would not be able to continue to, to live up to that obligation. So he said that, therefore, O people, perform your prayers at your homes, for the best prayer of a person is what is performed at his home, except the compulsory congregational prayer. So the Prophet ﷺ actually initially did you know, tell people to offer the prayer at home, and the Prophet ﷺ continued to pray the Tarawih prayer at home, and the companions continued to pray individually. Right? So that was a time that the practice of the Sahaba, عنهم, the companions of the Prophet وسلم, during the time of the Prophet وسلم, and this continued during the time of Sayyidina Abu Bakr عنه, 
and the beginning of the rule of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. Um, now, um, you know, it, so it remained that way through the passing of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam through Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's time and the beginning, the early days of the the, the Khilafah of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. Now, um, some people did start praying in different groups in the masjid. And Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu noticed this and decided that it would be better to perform the prayer as one larger jama'ah instead of having smaller congregations um, because the unified congregation you know, is, is more in the spirit of Islam. So this was his, um, you know, his understanding, his opinion, if you will. Um, and this was the beginning of the congregational taraweeh as we know it now. Okay, so... That is where the, the precedence was sent, was set, and uh, from the time of Sayyidina Umar So the practice itself existed at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu for a few days, um, meaning in congregation, but it did not continue in congregation. But then it was revived at the time of Sayyidina Umar Radiallahu um, So what we learned from that is that it indeed uh, is permissible, uh, and um, you know, in in some instances, perhaps even virtuous, uh, for people to offer Salatul Taraweeh. Um, at home, but definitely it was something which has been done by the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba Now, in another hadith, we find um, that the state of the night prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. So, generally, through the year, when the Prophet ﷺ used to pray at night, um, he would often have, or many times, he would have, you know, long rakat, right? Like it would be really long, long rukur, long sujood, and the Prophet ﷺ would be offering these prayers at home. Um, so that is something that we also learned that you know we have this opportunity now to to do this in our homes. Now most of the uh, early traditional uh, you know scholars have understood the Taraweeh prayer to be a separate prayer than the Tahajjud or the Qiyam. Okay, so this is also something which has a lot of discussion, but just briefly to understand that most of the early traditional scholars um, of uh, the four schools of Fiqh have understood the Taraweeh prayer to be separate prayer than tahajjud or qiyam with a minimum of 20 rakat, right? And this is why in, in for example, Masjid al-Haram, Masjid al-Nabi as well, even today we find that there's 20 rakats that, that are offered. Um, and the qiyam, in their understanding, or tahajjud is eight rakats, which the Prophet offered through Ramadan and outside of Ramadan as well, plus three witr for a total of 11 rakats for the qiyam and the tahajjud. Now some scholars, and again, this is a long scholarly uh, you know discussion, so some scholars have considered the taraweeh and the qiyam to be the same. Okay, so but either way, without getting into all of that, either way, the reality is that inshallah, whatever we can offer is good, and the more we can offer is better. Okay, so we should try as much as possible, especially in the nights of Ramadan, to offer um, you know extra prayers, and you know the more rakahs that we can do and the longer longer that we can make them, inshallah, the better it is going to be. Uh, so that is with regards to. Uh, offering the night prayers. Now, there's also, you know, nafal prayers as well, extra prayers during the daytime as well, right? So, Salat al-Duha, for example, um, you know, for the, the prayer of the forenoon. Uh, so, that is, you know, these other extra nafal prayers we should also try to incorporate and, uh, and make a part of our uh, masala, our masjid at home, inshallah. Now, when it comes to Quran, um, especially in Salah, you know, we, um, we are used to listening to others, most of us, right? Most people are used to listening to others. So there's an imam, uh, a qari, you know, and we, we listen. Um, but now is the time uh, because, again, we were depending on the imam, right? We were depending on the qari. Uh, so now it is our opportunity um, to refresh what we have memorized, right? All the surahs, right? All the verses of the Quran that we have memorized, that we have learned perhaps when we were a kid, this is, when we were children, this is the time to review them and refresh them. Right, so that we can offer 
um, um, night prayer uh, and uh, taraweeh, qiyam, and ideally, hopefully, we can make it uh, longer as well, inshallah, as much as possible. You know, if you're not able to, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَقْرَأُوا مَا تَيَسَّرَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ Right, so recite whatever is easy for you from the Qur'an. So if a person only knows 10 surahs, only knows 5 surahs, then inshallah, they can recite that. They can uh, repeat them even if they want to make their rakahs longer, right? So, but this is our, our opportunity now to look back at what we have memorized, what we have learned, to review it, to refresh it. Even if you haven't memorized the whole Qur'an, doesn't matter, whatever you have learned, refresh it, review it, so that you can offer uh, longer uh, prayers, inshallah, in the month of Ramadan. Um, there's a question also about, you know, looking in the Mus'haf, looking inside the, uh, a copy of the Qur'an and leading Salah in that way. And this is something which, you know, according to the majority of the schools of fiqh, something which is permissible in the Hanafi school, you know, the the, the, the dominant opinion, the, the accepted opinion is that it is not permissible to do that. Um, so therefore, you know, those who follow that school, uh, perhaps will want to, um, you know, not do that. But nonetheless, uh, for the for the majority of the, of the fuqaha, of the jurists, it would be permissible, from my understanding, uh, to to have uh, to uh, lead salah at home, for example, or even do it alone um, and be looking in 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 the, in the mushaf. But since it is a a a, a matter in which there is some disagreement, if we are able to avoid that, then inshallah, that would be better, and Allah knows best. Um, now um, we can offer the salah individually uh, or as the family. Um, you know, Islamically, a mature male, meaning one who has passed puberty. Uh, can lead the family, um, inshallah. Um, you know, for single mothers, um, uh, the mother, uh, or meaning when there's no other males, um, a single mother or uh, could uh, lead the salah, uh, or an Islamically mature female, even you know a teenage girl, for example, who knows Quran, can lead the females and uh, the not yet mature children uh, in the household, inshallah. So that is something. If there is no um, one else available, that is also something that can be done, inshallah. Um, now the question also comes up. Uh, that can can young boys lead so for example in your household you know there is um the adults perhaps don't really know that much quran they did not get the opportunity uh to learn it to memorize it but perhaps there's a child uh six-year-old a seven-year-old an eight-year-old who is still not at the age of maturity however they have learned some quran is it permissible for them to lead the salah uh, so this is the valid position in most schools of fiqh um so that can be done and but again in the in the hanafi school it is not something uh, which is uh, valid, um, at least the, the, the accepted position is that it is not valid even for nafal prayers, but in the other schools it is valid. Um, but I guess for those who follow the Hanafi school, a fiqh, um, that you know, unless I suppose if there's no other male in the household um, and there is only that child who can lead the salah, uh, then perhaps there may be some exception there and Allah knows best. Um, so that is with regards to offering the prayers. Um, now when it comes to dua, right, again, uh, many of us have become accustomed to following the imam in dua, having someone who can make nice duas, you know, in in witr or you know outside of salah or after salah um, at night, um, and we sort of follow them um, and we say amin alhamdulillah, that is great. Um, but we now also have an opportunity to really try to build up our own our own dua, right, and try to make it long, try to beautify it, and most importantly, bring it from the heart, right. That is what matters most about dua. Yes, it is good to have the prophetic du'as, the du'as from the Qur'an. Um, that is excellent uh, if you can learn them, if you know them. But at the end of the day, what really matters is, is our sincerity, our attention towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you know that cry from the heart, that plea from the heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what we are looking for. Um, so, And that is something that each one of us should, should develop because you don't need me to lead du'a for you. You, know, you don't need anyone else. 
to make du'a for you. Uh, it's good sometimes we ask others to make du'a for us. There's nothing wrong with that. We join in a collective du'a, alhamdulillah. But at the end of the day, ideally, we each should have um, you know, that inside of us that we are able to talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our own words and, and cry in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone in the dark. Um, and inshallah, that will be the most powerful du'a for you. So please try to build up that ability, inshallah. Um, so, you know, um, so make this a project for your home, inshallah. Uh, establish a musallah, establish a masjid in the house, an area. Uh, physically set it up if possible. If your kids want to maybe help decorate it or you want to, you know, set up a, a prayer uh, a calendar or, you know, clocks to to tell, you know, to, to, to let everyone know what time you will be praying. Um, uh, offering salat in jama'ah, um, you know, and spiritually through actions of the masjid as well. So there's that physical setup, but then there's also that spiritual uh, life that you can bring to your musallah, inshallah, by giving adhan, by doing the amal of the masjid, the actions of the masjid, inshallah, in your in that area, whether it's recitation of Quran or the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sending salawat upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, um, you know, uh, making dua, offering all your prayers there, inshallah. So whatever you're able to do, try to do it in that area so that there is a sense of spirituality and, you know, the nur um, that comes from these good deeds, inshallah, in that portion of your home. Um, so that is with regards to uh, worship. Now, iftar, okay? Now, I have noticed that in the past few years, especially, iftar has really picked up. And what I mean by that is not just iftar gatherings or parties within families, uh, but also iftar as an event, as a community event, as even a political event, right? This is uh, is something that we've I've really noticed in the last couple of years really, really pick up. Um, and I think there's pros and cons to that, but alhamdulillah. Uh, but, you know, here we find ourselves in a situation where we, we, we likely will not have any parties. We'll, we will not have any gatherings for iftar. We will not have any uh, community iftars. Uh, and we will be with our families, right? And a lot of times, I think we're thinking, oh, great, I'm going to be stuck with my family again. Uh, but as I posted on Facebook a few days ago, uh, you know, try to reword, um, you know, try to reframe and reword. So instead of thinking that you're going to be stuck for iftar with your family, uh, think that, alhamdulillah, I will have a family or I will have the opportunity to have iftar with my family. Um, so that will be there, inshallah. Um, and you know, there's great virtue in feeding others because the Prophet ﷺ said that man sa'iman kana lahu mithlu ajri. Right? That whoever gives iftar to one who is fasting will have a reward like his. Without that detracting from the fasting person's reward in the slightest. So there's great reward, right, in helping people break their fast, especially those who are in need. Uh, so that is something, mashallah, that, you know, we've established in our community in the past few years. Um, mashallah, people sponsoring iftars and people, you know, sharing food and delivering food to each other's homes um, or, you know, bringing food to the musallah and having, uh, you know, a, a daily iftar, alhamdulillah, which is beautiful. Um, but in this situation, we are not able to do that. It's likely difficult, I think, for us to feed others uh, than uh, meaning people other than our family. I'm not sure if people will be comfortable in, in having food cooked elsewhere. Uh, coming into our homes depends how you feel about that you know people may be or may not be comfortable uh, but inshallah we can feed others right so we can get the virtue of this through um, giving donations or arranging for food maybe from caterers from restaurants in places uh, and you know where there are people who are needy whether it's locally or whether it's overseas inshallah or just giving to charities who can arrange that on our behalf inshallah so that is something that we can uh, channel our energies towards and subhanallah who knows maybe we will get a greater reward for helping those uh, truly in need break their fast, you know, as opposed to putting in a lot of effort to feed, mashallah, it's good to feed, you know, our friends and our, you know, our social circle.
people, which is still good, mashallah, but perhaps there's a greater reward. Allah knows best in actually, you know, putting greater effort and attention towards those who truly need it. And Allah knows best. Although there is virtue in feeding your friends and, you know, your, your, your neighbors as well. Absolutely. Um, planning ahead for meals, right? Because as I mentioned earlier in the beginning, uh, grocery trips uh, appear to be becoming a bit more challenging. Uh, so try to plan ahead practically. You know, of what you're going to have for suhoor, what the iftar is going to be like, um, you know, and there's an opportunity, I think, there to cut down as well, because I think many people actually end up gaining weight in Ramadan. Uh, so, you know, if you can try to maybe try to control our meals and plan them better um, and uh, plan out what you need and when you're going to be able to get it, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, even... Um, uh, you know, putting in, uh, reserving your grocery pickup slots weeks in advance, perhaps if possible. So just, uh, you probably can't do it for too many weeks in advance, but, you know, just being on top of that so that you don't have to panic in the end. And inshallah, you know, you have uh, these things taken care of. Um, I'm wrapping up now, inshallah. Charity, um, you know, I think many of us have also become accustomed to, um, you know, being uh, encouraged, especially emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, by a fundraiser, by being there in the moment when, you know, there's great virtues being um, being told to us with regards to giving. Um, and, you know, there's that, that moment when we decide to raise our hand or we make the intention to give in charity. Mashallah, that's great. That's excellent. Alhamdulillah. Uh, but now those opportunities are gone. There's not going to be fundraising dinners. There's there's not going to be fundraisers coming for salah. Some people may be happy about that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, our, they're all our brothers and our sisters who are doing good work, mashallah. And we try to support, as you know, for those who come for, who used to come for Salat al-Isha and Taraweeh with us, we, we almost every night of Ramadan or every other night we have, uh, you know, some brothers and sisters from other organizations, alhamdulillah. So we want to support as many people as possible. But it's just that we will have to work harder to find in, in those opportunities and get motivated. Because otherwise we'll end up losing out. And, you know, subhanAllah, this is probably the time when we need to give more than ever. Are you thinking, okay, there's scarcity, there's fears of, you know, the financial uh, crisis that, that is hitting us and that will likely continue. Allah knows best. Um, but actually this is the time when we need to give more than ever. Um, because you see, not only is there a greater need right now, because of course there's a lot of people in need, uh, but there's also greater virtue as well. The Prophet ﷺ has told us that inna sadaqata sirri that secret charity extinguishes the anger of the Lord. And subhanAllah, you know, we think perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is angry with us, maybe Allah is upset with us. So the secret charity is something which is a really, really uh, powerful act at this time, especially at this time. And subhanAllah, actually, this thought came to my mind that even if someone wants to give secret charity, it actually has become a lot harder now. You know, before we would be able to give, you know, put some cash in the box. But we're not able to do that anymore in most cases. So even this was a blessing, right? Even the opportunity to put some money in a box secretly, anonymously, was actually a great blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because now that blessing has become is gone or has become very, very difficult to get. Because now if you give online, you write a check, most chances are that people will know, you know, who you are uh, and it won't be as secret. Inshallah, you'll still get the reward. Right, you still get the reward for it, but that quality of being able to give in a way that no one knows, that not a single person knows, only Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala knows, right? That type of charity has become a lot more difficult now. Subhanallah. So that was even that even was a blessing of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. May Allah forgive us. So, inshallah, try to give. You know, even if you're not able to do it at, in total secrecy, 
whatever you're able to do, inshallah, whichever way you're able to do it, inshallah, go ahead um, and do it. There is also benefit in giving openly as well, of course, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says both in the Quran, sirra wa alaniya, right? So secretly and openly, when the intentions are good and when there's there's some benefit in, in giving openly, then that is also something which is encouraged. But most of the time, secret charity is that which is uh, better. Now, a man came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ila nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, faqal, he said, ya Rasulullah, that which charity has the greatest reward? The Prophet said that that you give charity while you are healthy, feeling greedy, fearing poverty, and hoping to be rich. Subhanallah, the best charity or the charity with the greatest reward that you give charity while you are healthy feeling greedy, fearing poverty, and hoping to be rich. The Prophet ﷺ said, That do not delay giving until you are on your deathbed. And then you say, That you are on your deathbed and then you say, give to such a person and such a person. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, it already belongs to that person at that point. SubhanAllah. Right, so give while you are healthy, feeling greedy, fearing poverty, and hoping to be rich. Right, so if you're fearing your financial situation, this is actually an opportunity to give the charity which has the greatest reward, inshallah. And the Prophet advises do not delay until you are on your deathbed. And then you say, okay, give to such and such a person because now death is imminent and you're fearing it. And then you know you want to give because it already belongs to that person. Okay, it's going to go anyway. So you know, don't get to that point and give before that. Um, so that's with regards to charity. Now, with regards to i'tikaf, right? So seclusion in the masjid, especially in the last ten uh, days, uh, nights of, of uh, last ten nights of the month of Ramadan, cannot be done at the masjid anymore. Uh, so make niyyah at home and try to stick to your musalla. This is just a, just a suggestion, but make niyyah for i'tikaf at home if possible, and try to stick to the musalla as much as possible. So whatever musalla area you have in your home, try to do i'tikaf there. Okay, try not to go out. At all, or like only go out whenever necessary. Um, and inshallah, if you make the niyyah, who knows? Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you the reward of doing i'tikaf in the masjid just by doing it at home during these these circumstances. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. We also we always try to have the best hopes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, there's an interesting hadith. Ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah said that a man came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, ayyul nasi ahabbu ilallah, wa ayyul a'mali ahabbu ilallah, that, O Messenger of Allah, which of the people is dearest to Allah and which deeds are dearest to Allah? The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that أَحَبُّ النَّاسِ إِلَى اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ أَنْفَعُهُمْ لِلنَّاسِ That the dearest of people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, may he be exalted, is the one who does most benefit to people. أَنْفَعُهُمْ لِلنَّاسِ The most beneficial towards others. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said وَأَحَبُّ الْأَعْمَالِ إِلَى اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ The dearest of deeds to Allah Sururun to the khiluhu ala Muslim is a joy that you bring to a Muslim. Aw takshifu anhu kurba or relieving him of distress. Aw taqdi anhu daynan or paying off debt for him. Aw taqrudu anhu ju'an or dispelling his hunger. Okay, so the dearest of deeds to Allah is a joy that you bring to a Muslim or relieving him of distress, paying off debt for him, dispelling his hunger. So whatever benefit you can bring to another person who is in in, 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 in in distress, in very difficult, dire circumstances and situations, 
when you relieve that, when you relieve that, these are the dearest of deeds to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then this is especially the really interesting part. The Prophet ﷺ said, And to walk with a brother, meaning Muslim brother, to meet his needs, to walk with a brother, to meet his needs is dearer to me than observing i'tikaf in this masjid, meaning the masjid of Medina for a month. So the Prophet ﷺ said, once again, to walk with a brother, to meet his needs, to, meaning to walk with another, to meet his needs, to help another person, is dearer to me than observing i'tikaf in this masjid for a month, meaning in Masjid al-Nabri. Okay, so subhanAllah, you know, clearly, definitely there's there's great virtue um, and, uh, you know, for, for people doing i'tikaf in the masjid in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, absolutely, there's no denying that. There's a practice of the Prophet ﷺ himself. Right? But the Prophet ﷺ has also highlighted the importance of serving the needs of others. So serving others and looking out for others and removing distress and hardship from others, especially nowadays when people are in financial distress, you know, businesses being shut down, people not getting paychecks, you know, uh, especially in other countries, you know, um, that are, where people are not so fortunate as us, alhamdulillah, and, you know, where people are, are truly in a lockdown and they have no food, right? They are starving. And there's a disaster in the making, not from the virus itself, but from the lockdown. Um, you know, so removing distress and hardship from uh, for others could potentially help us get a similar reward or closeness to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, especially in these times of hardship um, for many, inshallah. So that is something to keep in mind. Uh, time, uh, uh, you know, planning for time. Uh, we're going to have to work harder to plan our day and to stick to it, to motivate ourselves because we may not have the same type of schedule we would have had otherwise. Uh, patience, sabr will need extra attention because you are stuck with your family. You know, you're safe with your family, alhamdulillah. Most of us are, and I hope that is the case. Um, but, you know, you're alone. Uh, sorry, you are with your family, um, and perhaps you're getting on each other's nerves. Right? I hope that is not the case, but it's possible because we're around each other and perhaps we're getting stressed out. There's anxiety, there's fear, there's stress. Um, we will have to be very careful during our fasting, because the Prophet ﷺ said that right? Rarely fasting is not only from eating and drinking. That if someone, uh, you know, rather fasting is from vanity and obscenity, and if someone, you know, verbally abuses you or acts foolishly against you, then say that indeed I am fasting. Right? So, um, the fasting will not just be from food and drink, but rather it's in terms of our behavior, our character as well, in terms of how we behave, in terms of what we say, in terms of how we respond, our anger, all of those things are also part of fasting. So this will require extra patience and extra attention uh, for many people. So keep that in mind, inshallah. So basically to wrap up all in all, this Ramadan is a tremendous opportunity, inshallah. Um, while it may seem easy, because most people don't have to deal with school and for work, um, at least going out. Many, some still are, of course, first responders and healthcare workers and, and you know people working in the stores. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect them and reward them. Um, but you know those who have, do not have to go out, and there's many people like that. Uh, it may seem like you know it's going to be easier, but it's actually going to require more motivation and effort and patience from us. Inshallah, this will be a unique experience. Inshallah, so think of it that way. It's going to be a Ramadan that you will remember for the rest of your lives, inshallah, uh, fondly, inshallah, a, a, a Ramadan that we are going to cherish. Uh, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to make us uh, a part of it, to strengthen us, uh, to guide us, 
and to accept from us. I mean, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Now, um, so just to recap, inshallah, um, so focus on uh, the masjid, the musalla at home, inshallah, uh, daily prayers, having the adhan, praying at night, inshallah, um, try to learn the Quran, um, memorize the Quran if you can, refresh Quran, some portion of the Quran, offer prayers at night at home individually or as a family, inshallah, try to beautify them and make them as long as possible and make them as spiritual as possible in the dark, inshallah. Um, try to recite as much Quran as you can during the day. Um, make dua, especially at night. Again, especially in the dark. And this is just my personal recommendation because I know when we turn the lights off, you've seen it at the Musalla. For those of us who prayed Qiyam and made dua, when we turn off those lights and uh, we recite slowly and then we make dua afterwards, it, it has a completely different impact than um, than, it, it, than if we had kept, kept the lights on. Uh, so try to tweak and you can experiment, inshallah, and try to build that environment, develop that environment in the home, inshallah. Uh, give for if thought if you can. Try to help people break their fast. You will get the reward of their fast, inshallah, without diminishing any reward for them. Try to do itikaf if possible in the last 10 days, 10 last 10 nights of Ramadan, uh, and make the intention in your home if you're able to. Uh, try to give in charity as much as possible uh, or um, as frequently as possible. Um, and even if it's a small amount, always remember it's the sincerity that counts. You know, I say this when we fundraise that, you know, one dollar given uh, a quarter given with sincerity could carry more barakah, could carry more rewards, more blessings, more barakah, and could end up doing more than a million dollars. Okay, because this is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's the sincerity and the intention that matters. Um, of course, we have plans, we, we have budgets, we try to predict and accordingly, we try to fundraise accordingly. But at the end of the day, it's whatever you're able to do. And try to keep it between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and try to tell as few people as possible, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us an opportunity, grant us um, this opportunity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us acceptance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us patience uh, and guidance uh, and strength to live it in the best way possible. Ameen, Ya Rabbul Alameen. Um, inshallah, just going to go through the comments. And if you have any questions, you can write them in the chat box as well. Um, Assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah khair for the session. Wa'iyakum. Jazakallah khair for joining us. Sister Mani, Jazakallah khair. Wa'iyaki, sister. How can we help the kids prepare them uh, for the month of Ramadan? Um, I think it's really about uh, sharing the virtues, um, talking about the, the, the mercy, the spiritual aspects, um, and really developing um, that excitement in the home. I think that's really important, especially when kids are young. And inshallah, as they grow older, they will become uh, greater, uh, you know, they will become accustomed to it and they will look forward to it, inshallah. I have fond memories of, of you, know, you know, doing suhoor and uh, subhanAllah, you know, my mother, may Allah bless her and, and protect her, uh, you know, making paratas in the morning. Um, you know, so we have fond memories. Uh, may Allah reward her for all of her efforts. Um, and may he accept from both of my parents. I mean, ya Rabbil Alameen. So, you know, we have fond memories of our Ramadans. Uh, so I think really uh, taking it seriously, building that environment, developing that environment, making it exciting, um, and, uh, you know, rewarding our children, of course, uh, as well for when they fast and when they do good and encouraging them to do good. Um, and uh, maybe not pressuring them, but just sort of having a talk beforehand, especially as they get older, to say, you know, Ramadan is coming. Sometimes it's important to to give children, especially teens, the opportunity to decide for themselves that, okay, you know, you've heard this talk or you know about these virtues, uh, what do you think we should do? You know, as a family, what do you think you, your contribution could be? How are you going to welcome Ramadan, inshallah? So, you know, involve them as much as possible. Try to put on short talks. And, you know, you can find many inspirational videos and uh, lectures online from reputable scholars 
so try to, you know, just try to build an environment like so that the, the entire household can feel that there's something special and something different about this month, inshallah. Uh, share the link to the article. Uh, yes, inshallah, if I can uh, find that. Um, let, let me just uh, look for it very, very quickly. Um, I will share it right now. Uh, there might be a paywall, but I think if you go for the... Um, if you go for the, the um, cached version, um, then you might be able to um, read the entire uh, article. Actually, yeah, that's not. I'm just searching for it right now. I don't think that was it. Oh, there we go. Um, I see it now. So I'm just going to share this link. Inshallah. Here we go. So there's a link to the National uh, Geographic article regarding the switching of the poles. Um, Brother Bukhani, remember the night very well. Yes, you're talking about the uh, uh, the police officer being there when we were going for Qiyam. Um, Brother Muhammad, uh, Assalamualaikum Can we make dua inside our prayers during sujood, sitting apart from regular tashahud and the road, etc.? Uh, yes, uh, you can make a dua. Uh, there's some scholarly discussion regarding dua um, in uh, in sujood. For the most part, yes. Uh, some scholars have said that you know it should be done um, in nafal prayers. Uh, so that is better if you do it in Taraweeh or you know your Qiyam, inshallah, or other optional prayers. Um, but it should be in Arabic, inshallah. Um, otherwise, if you're not able to do it in Arabic, then after the salah, you can certainly make dua in your own language. Uh, can kids lead Taraweeh? Yes, so we talked about that earlier. Uh, so the safer opinion is that you know they should be Islamically mature in order to, to lead Taraweeh. Um, boys, yani, uh, but um, you know, if there's no one else uh, who can uh, lead the prayer. Um, at home or who knows enough Quran, uh, then inshallah, you know, it should be possible for children to lead. The majority of the scholars say that it is uh, permissible, but since we have a view that, you know, that disputes that, I would just say that it would be safer if an adult can lead, inshallah. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. So we have uh, that opinion, especially in the Hanafi school, um, that it is a, uh, a sunnah of the Prophet and it is em emphasized because of how the Sahaba radiallahu anhum uh, practiced it and especially uh, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu restarting it in congregation uh, and even offering 20 rakahs. So based on that, especially in the from what I know of the Hanafi school, uh, a fiqh, it is uh, considered to be sunnah ma'akkada and therefore uh, should be offered regularly and should not be left unless um, there is a valid reason. Um, I have not studied the other uh, schools of fiqh, so I cannot speak for them uh, on this issue. Um, uh, if there are gadgets at home calling adhan, is it still better allowed to do it on your own? So that's a great question. So of course you can have, you know, adhan clocks and apps uh, set up, uh, you know, Google Home uh, set up to give adhan, uh, inshallah. Um, but uh, yes, there is, um, there is special, you know, spiritual value and virtue of having um, the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala done by a live person. Right, so in our religion, yes, for certain things, it is permissible to to listen, for example, to, to recitation of Quran. Inshallah, you'll get the reward for it. But when it comes to the actual um, the practices, they are still more valuable. So in your home, I would say definitely, you know, try to uh, offer adhan and give adhan yourself. I mean, at sometimes, you know, people are busy or something. You can have, uh, or at all times, you can have, you know, apps and adhan clocks giving the adhan. But I would still encourage you, inshallah, to have. Um, family members give adhan at home uh, by themselves. Um, uh, can you please share both du'as from Friday session? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so that's a great point, and I was actually planning to do that. So if you just give me a second, I will actually open that right now, and I will share with you. 
um, I will share with you those two du'as as I was intending to do, uh, but then I forgot. So Jazakallah khair for the uh, for the reminder. So the du'a is um, okay. So this is the uh, where did it go now? Okay, so this is Sidna uh, Ali Um Okay, so I don't have the Arabic for this right now, inshallah. Someone else can uh, can paste the uh, can paste the Arabic. Um, so this is the first du'a uh, with regards to so this uh, first du'a is regarding um, the payment of debt, um, which uh, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu had narrated, and uh, the second. Um, Dua is with regards to uh, protection. Uh, so that is here. Let me just paste it. Okay, so both uh, du'as uh, are there, inshallah. Okay. Um, any other questions, uh, brothers and sisters? Zakumal khair for all of you for tuning in uh, and mashallah being so patient uh, with me um, because I did take quite a bit of time. Uh, so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you immensely. May Allah Azza wa Jalla, and please make this dua as well, you know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first of all, uh, gives us the opportunity to witness the month of Ramadan, number one. Uh, number two, that he really guides us through this time, protects us and guides us uh, to be able to, to witness the month of Ramadan and really, truly take advantage of it in the best way possible, inshallah. Uh, good to hear from you, Brother Abid. Uh, I hope everyone is doing well, inshallah. Uh, so with that, if there are no other questions, um, I will end. Uh, this session, inshallah. Uh, once again, Jazakumullahu Khaira. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and protect you all. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you safe. Uh, and may He open His doors of blessings um, and halal risk uh, for, for everyone. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove um, hardships and stress and anxiety and fear uh, from all of our hearts. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us firmness in our faith. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullahu Khaira. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. نستغفرك ونتوب إليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولا عصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر صدق الله العظيم سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته Inshallah, we will be on tomorrow. Just a reminder, tomorrow, inshallah, at the same time, 8.15 after Salat al-Maghrib, we will have family game night round two, inshallah. So be sure to join us. You can find the access link at kanadamuslims.ca slash live. Uh, so family game night round two tomorrow, inshallah. Uh, so join us for that. Everyone is welcome. Uh, and then inshallah, next Saturday, so April 18th, inshallah, we will be having session two of Refresh for Ramadan. And that will be Ramadan in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah. Uh, so I look forward to uh, to um, to having you join us uh, for that, inshallah. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our coming um, and our hearing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who act upon what they hear. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to forgive me for all of my weaknesses and my shortcomings. Amin ya rabbal alameen. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.